Let's Get Two presents Go, Go Astros! Go, Go Astros! A focus on H-Town Hardball. And happy 4th of July. It is Go, Go Astros. We are still working even on America's birthday. Brian's back. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you. So America's, Brian, founders, America's founders didn't take off the 4th of July. We're not either. We're not either. Now, Brian, um, you weren't able to do the show last week. Um, and then since then, we rattled off six wins. So why are you here again? I mean. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't <laughs> And Andy's back. Andy's got the classic orange hat on, which we definitely need the Astros to bring back. Yeah, I don't really know why they got rid of orange as a primary color in their uniforms. Um, although, that is to say, they started winning division titles when they got rid of it. So I guess I understand, but um, they're still better than the grays. Yeah, though, no, it's a great look. You know, but yeah, let's jump into it. It's been a very good week. To be an Astros fan, six wins. Uh, I think yesterday's obviously the most dramatic with uh, with Maltine Maldonado's oops play. And then, of course, um, Jeremy Pena going yard. And, the, and the, the thing is, for me, and we'll start with Brian on this, like the thing that I think has me, like normally if it had been a series against the Angels, I wouldn't care. But after what we saw against the Yankees and Mets, now it's just this is a really good baseball team. Yeah, so one, it looked this weekend like the difficulty setting had been uh, moved down to rookie from uh, all pro. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you could tell. And and it sort of fits into, you know, you had three games against some of the top teams in baseball, which were all, you know, which were two or three of them were tight, required, you know, um, you know lots of white knuckling through late innings. Uh, a Jason Castro home run. He's now up to... Uh, such a big home run he had to go on the IL. Yeah, um, I know. He hurt himself in the swing. <laughs> oh. And then, uh, you know, two of the three games against the Angels were laughers. Were, you know, wow, this is clearly a better team than the Angels. And good Lord, the Angels are going through it right now. Um, and then uh, the real exciting game yesterday. And uh, Jeremy Pena, two walk-off home runs in his career. By the way, one was on my birthday and one was on my cousin's birthday. So we got to text him that, you know, Jerry Payne gave you as good a birthday present as he gave me. Andy, what was your takeaway of these last, these last six-ish games? Um, the, the pitching has uh, carried the offense through the rough spots. Uh, the, they've been in for most of the season um, with the reduced production. But, you know, some of it can be attributed to league-wide um, offensive malaise, but some of it can be attributed to Alex Bredman, Lee Guriel, a few other guys not hitting the way they were expected to hit. Um, and you come back and you're now sitting with a plus 90 run differential, uh, which I believe is second in baseball to the Yankees, who have just a ridiculous number. Excuse me, third Dodgers, Dodgers and Yankees want to give the Dodgers their due. Yeah. Uh, have opened up a 13 and a half game lead, which is the biggest lead in baseball, also tied with the Yankees. And, you know, the rest of the summer looks like it's going to be getting healthy, getting right for the playoffs and keeping the, um, the watching the three teams between Anaheim, Texas, and Seattle battle it out for just missing the wild card. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's it's funny. I'm looking at the division standings right now, and obviously the the Yankees' 13 and a half game lead looks more impressive because I think all of us 
thought Toronto would have a better showing than they're having, but I mean, it does, you know, it's, it, I don't know that this team has really put together a consistent, this is the best Astros baseball we're going to see. And to have that 13 game cushion to really get that worked out, but also, you know, to, to have a, a really good lead as well in the, like, I think an eight game lead in this for the second seed, I think also it really allows the Astros to get things right. Brian. Yeah. For the rest of the season, there's almost no pressure to win the division. Their odds of winning the division are over 99%. Um, and what they really can do. And part of this, what you see here, like I don't get the impression that Michael Brantley's that hurt, but there's no reason to push him now, give him 10 days off, get him healthy. If it takes 15, that's fine. And I think we'll see that with some other players, including with the pitching staff through the second half of the season with the starting rotation, because there's absolutely no reason to push any of these guys based on the fact you have a massive lead in the division and a big leg up for the number two seed. And it really doesn't matter whether you get the number one seed or the number two seed. Andy, uh, you had a thought on that. I had a thought? On the seating. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think looking at the way the playoffs are, and I am not entirely familiar with how it's going to break out because I haven't looked at the brackets yet, but my instinct is that I kind of rather be the second seed team right now because I don't necessarily want to end up facing somebody out of the AL East in the second round um i'd rather have get i'd rather get the opportunity to face minnesota frankly uh i think they're an easier win i think it's a nicer path i think minnesota's got more ghosts uh right now in the playoffs than the cubs do um <laughs> you know is saying something historically um but i also know that you know minnesota could lose their wild card series which right now would be against i don't know toronto or boston uh, and you second up, wild card so yeah, yeah you'd end up playing one of them anyway Toronto, right? yeah. um and so it's six of one half dozen of another uh the buy concerns me so i think it's be very interesting to see how that plays out not only this year but over the next several years uh trying to understand how much taking a week off basically not playing baseball is going to affect those top teams yeah, so anyway, uh, just to sum up, Andy said he'd almost prefer to, to take the second seed because you do have a chance to play the AL um, Central winner, which I think is weaker than whatever two AL, AL West East guys get it. And I think the other factor is um, I think the Central winner could come out of it because I believe the wild card is all three games at home, right? Like, I don't, they're not traveling, right, Brian? Yep. It's all three games at home, so it'll be at the Central winner even if the central winner has a worse record than the number six seed, currently the number six seed would be the Rays. So it'd be a three game series um, and they do not reseed. So it'll you know definitely be the three versus six versus the Astros is here, the two seed. So yeah, that's more advantageous than a bracket of the right now, the Blue Jays and Red Sox. What is your concern? And I'll start with Brian on this one. What is your concern about a buy? I don't love a buy in baseball. I obviously you want it in football. I'm, I'm not too fired up about it. Um, you, do you have any thoughts on those one on it one way or the other? I mean, it reduces the advantage you used to get from the buy is what we saw in the 2019 playoffs where the, to, in order to win the wild card game, the Rays had to win their um, Rays had to use their best starter, Charlie Morton 
and therefore the pitcher they used twice in the wild in the ALDS was Tyler Glass now not quite as good a pitcher and he was tipping his pitches in game five and well our boys took advantage of that we got to use uh Cole and Verlander twice in that series so uh from that standpoint it's you know that that advantage has gone away with the three game series they will probably be able to use their number one starter in game one and then come back with him again in game one so let's say it's the Rays that'd be Shane McClanahan um on the other hand you put more innings on young arms and you increase stress while you uh relax and chill and play a simulated game against your minor leaguers so um it's not the advantage it used to be under the old system um it's still a slight advantage and of course <clears throat> game one of minimay park with the uh, roof closed hopefully the roof will be closed right uh andy yeah what well, are your concerns about the vibe all up to the commissioner right because he yeah. gets involved with local baseball issues when it benefits him yeah what are your concerns about the buy? Kind of the same what Brian said. Are you worried about? Um... You know, I, I and I'm certain this is one of these anecdotal versus um, empirical conversations that we're going to have, and I don't think anybody really knows what the impact is going to be until we play this format for a few years. But teams that are going well don't want to take time off. Teams that are not going well and back into the playoffs or have a huge lead and kind of just tumble in and. Like the Astros conceivably could go 500 the rest of the way, still win the division, still up, end up with the second seed and not be playing well. And maybe you want that week off to regroup and gather and figure out some stuff. Um, there's also the health factor. Are your, do your guys need the time off? Sure. Uh, but if a team's going well, they don't want to take time off. They don't want to miss hitting against live pitching. They don't want to miss the competition because – Baseball players feel they lose an edge when they take that time off. So it'll be really interesting to see, for instance, in this format, the Yankees being the number one seed, if they happen to lose in their second round, their first round of play, uh, that series, um, how much credit is given to the fact that whoever beats them didn't have that buy. Uh, so it, it's, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I think at the end of the day, it's more fans needing something to worry about. Than, yeah any actual difference but i know if you talk to baseball players and managers they don't want the time off unless they're not healthy okay let's talk a little bit about uh, preserving health um we've basically seen that justin verlander starts been pushed back to thursday we're going back to essentially a six-man rotation and he will start with you i mean there's been some rumor that justin is not happy about this decision Overall impressions. I, I tend to believe that top of the line, Hall of Fame level starters, which Justin Verlander is, are, are often unhappy about anything that messes up their routine. And, and rightfully so. They've, I mean, he's pitched for nearly 20 years in the major leagues. He has a routine down. He knows what he wants to do. And if they told him yesterday, and I have no idea that this happened, by the way, but if he's irritated, it may be because they told him yesterday that he wasn't going to be starting on Tuesday. And if that's the case, he's already halfway into his midweek routine or mid-rotation routine, and yeah. that would that, that could irritate him. I don't think there's any danger. Uh, you know, I don't think the suspicion that they're going to try to keep me from getting to my 130-inning option uh, threshold, that, that's not a thing. He's already pitched 97 in the third innings. He needs 32 and two-thirds 
over the next 84 games. That's going to happen barring some injury. Um, yeah, they're going to, and they talked about reducing his workload before signing him, after he signed, during spring training and during the first month of the season. He's outperformed, but I think the prescription is still right. He's a 39-year-old guy coming off Tommy John surgery. He does not strike out guys the way he was two years ago. Um, it's not bad that he's in a six-man rotation right now, and it's not bad that he's going to miss this start. Uh, it, it's, but is he irritated about it? Maybe. Uh, you know, I heard the talk radio guys speculating on that, but I know how much how many inside sources they have sitting in a studio, not at the not at the stadium, <laughs> on a Sunday. Um, right. Your Sunday talk radio guys are always the best ones, right? Because they're the ones who couldn't get off of work <laughs> on Sunday. Um, so, you know, I think it's probably much ado about nothing other than the Astros are looking to have him at his peak when they need him at his peak and not necessarily for a month's worth of playing Oakland, which is what we're about to get into. Ryan? Yeah, and I think the issue is as much uh, from Valdez and Luis Garcia, who last year in October didn't seem to be at their sharpest. And there's two reasons for that. One is you're facing better hitters uh, than you do when you play Oakland. Uh, but also they uh, reached inning, you know, innings totals last year that they had never achieved before. And so, um, and we're coming off, you know, a 2020 season where they pitched less due to circumstances, not, you know, uh, due to the pandemic. So I think it's more of a global thing across the starting rotation that, you know, pushing them all to 190 innings isn't a good thing for October. And one thing we talked about in this podcast today, and one thing that we can keep talking about is everything they do right now is about planning for October because they yeah. don't need to worry about anything the regular season. To that end, um, and again, we'll start with Brian and work our way back. To that end, you know, could one of the solutions to the starter problem be – JV never goes past the fifth or sixth and then using the other guy sort of as an, in a tandem start, which the Astros have do. That's how they do it in the minor leagues. Every start's a tandem start pretty much. Uh, this would require somebody from the front office to run down into the dugout in the fifth inning, temporarily <laughs> incapacitate uh, Dusty and make the move. All right. So I'm saying that sort of a humorous way, but you know, Hey, Dusty sent uh, Verlander out there for eight innings, including an inning where he's like 88 or 89 pitches uh, against the Mets on a hot afternoon in City Field. The right decision to win that baseball game. And, you know, hey, Dusty likes throwing his aces out there, and he's someone who will get a few more, you know, he, he won't, I don't think, over overuse his pitchers, but he's someone who, you know, you saw it yesterday with Fromber, could have taken him out of the fifth inning, his pitch count was high. Sent him out there for the sixth inning. We needed that quality than... start. Yeah. That's but... how sort of Dusty manages. And you sort of, you know, I think this may be the front office persuading Dusty to, you know, push Verlander back a little bit more than Dusty uh, want to do that himself. That's speculation. And I have as many sources as the Sunday talk radio guys. So, um, you know, so. Andy. But it there is something to be said for the flow of a game. And there is something to said for the fact that Dusty does have a good reputation as a player's manager. You have to understand the situation of each game at hand. So to, I, I hate, I hate pitch count limits, first of all, 
if you're going to put an inning limit in, it's even more artificial that you're only pitching. I don't care what the situation of the game is. I don't care that I have nobody in the bullpen. You're coming out after five. And if Justin Verlander is healthy or Fromber or Luis Garcia or anybody else in the rotation is healthy, as long as their mechanics are good, these guys are starting pitchers because they're better options than the guys in the bullpen. The other piece of that, and we laugh at things like quality starts because it's not a real stat. And honestly, if you had a quality start, which has always bugged me, six innings and three runs is a four-something ERA, which nobody would think is good. Right. That's a quality start. The players do care about that. They do care about qualifying for a win. They do care about having that stat when they go into their arbitration conversations. Sure. And so if you artificially remove everybody at the fifth inning, you're going to have a bunch of pissed off pitchers who make it more difficult okay. to find somebody. I, but that's that, 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 that I think is part of the issue. So but I, th- I th- the reason why I bring up the, because the Astros have, are going to have seven starting pitchers in August. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me, but I don't think they will. All right. But as of now, as of this moment, okay. they're going to have yeah. seven starting pitchers in August. And it seems to me that you need to keep guys stretched out in case there are injuries in October. I mean, this is literally why we lost the World Series, because we didn't have enough starting pitching depth. Yeah, but I think we have too much right now. So it's I understand what they're doing and I understand why you would limit it. And I understand the way to do that with Justin Verlander is to have him be pissed off about skipping a start rather than yanking him at the end of five because we're going to limit your innings because that's a very real, you're hitting me in my wallet kind of thing, even though it, he's still going to reach that threshold. Um, I think you've got to shed one of the starters and I know none of us want to do that. And we need the depth and we know what happened in the playoffs and we saw everything collapse. You're going to have Lance McCullers who in theory is coming back in August. We'll see. Um, the best thing that's happened to this franchise in the last week, uh, two weeks, is that Jose Arquiti has decided he can pitch again in the major leagues, uh, which makes him more valuable for somebody else. Yeah, and um, I mean, Forrest Whitley's waiting in the wings. Well, and you have Hunter Brown sitting around. Yeah. I mean, you've yeah. got options there. Um, I, I think we actually could address, and Jake Myers is playing well, but you can address center field by dealing somebody if you wanted to. Brian, um, Andy and I have have a kind of always thought that Lance McCullers might really be a dynamic bullpen arm. Can you see him staying in the bullpen if he's really not going to be back until August, or do you think they're going to stretch him out to start? I, again, the first thing to say about a conversation about what happens to your pitching rotation in August is we have a long way to go until August, and may everyone stay healthy between now and then. Sure. But short answer is yes. And so one is to talk about some of Andy's concern, you know, what Andy's we talk about sort of uh, players in their wallets. Hey, Lance has signed for four more years after this at a really nice salary. So, you know, he doesn't have to worry about how this is going to affect his free agent value anytime in the near future. So if you want to put him in the bullpen from that standpoint, from that part of his ego would be fine. Obviously, part of his ego is, hey, I'm a starting pitcher. Put me out there for six or seven. I should pitch game one. Um, you know, I should pitch game one just like I did last year. I'll accept Verlander ahead of me, but that's, you know, mm-hmm. players have ego. Part, part of why players are good, right, is they develop egos about their confidence. I can do this stuff. Um, now, that being said, if your rotation is healthy going into August or September, whenever Lance is ready to come back, yeah, putting him in the bullpen as a multi-inning option 
is a yeah is a conversation they should have something that may be the best use of Lance in the context of him returning so late and of course with the focus being October I don't think you plan for that now because planning to have all of your starters healthy six weeks from now is a fool's errand any point of the season Andy did you have a follow-up to that no, I was agreeing with Brian. Um, we're, we're talking in a right now situation. We could have three guys that have elbow tightness next week, and we're talking about a different situation and the benefits. But the benefit to that is we do have six or seven starters in the organization that are major, major league quality starters. Um, that's why we're playing these games right now to figure out what we need to have in September. Um, I just think they have a lot of room to experiment. I think one of the, and back to what we were originally talking about, I don't think you experiment on JV. Uh, and part of this is purely selfish because I want him to choose to play for the Astros again next year. Yeah. Um, I want him to get his option. I want him to get whatever money he gets, but I want it to be in Houston. I, I hope that's what the future is. Uh, the rest of the guys you have under club control to Brian's point um, nobody's walking away, I think, except for Oda Rizzi. And I think we even have him under contract for next year. Uh, so you have some room to experiment. And you, you see the roster being experimented with. J.J. Matichevic is still on the roster because they need to see if he's a, a real option for first base next year. Or do you try to keep Yuli uh, patched together for another year? Um, Tyler Jones evidently has – Taylor Jones has fallen off the world somewhere. Um, Maybe with Carmen San Diego, I don't know, uh, <laughs> but it's you're just going to see a lot of weird experimentation when you've got a lead this big going into July Fourth, um, and the rest of the division doesn't seem like they're going to be putting anything together anytime soon. Maybe the Mariners. Mariners probably are primed for a run to play better than they are right now, um, but the rest of the division is just crappy, and we've got a lot of games against the rest of the division coming up. Okay, well, we are, you know, we, we, we basically dipped our toe into the water of a trade deadline conversation. And I know that's going to dominate uh, a lot of what we talk about going forward, because you're right. I mean, how excited are we going to get over a three game sweep of the A's, which might be the worst baseball team I've actually ever seen in my lifetime. Like, it's next level bad. Um, everybody's talking Wilson Contreras to the Astros and I just don't see it. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Andy, you're shaking your head. So that's, you can go first. Uh, I, I just don't see it happening. I was having this conversation with somebody on Twitter, somebody I actually like and respect and normally like their takes, but they're like, um, Maldi's playing for his job right now. Martin Maldonado is not playing for his job and barring injury or organizational philosophical change will be the starter the rest of this season and probably the starter next season as a Houston Astro at catcher. Um, they like his leadership. They like his defense. They like his pitch handling. They like everything but the fact that he can't hit for average, and they don't care about that all that much. Um, so trading for a catcher who is barely a catcher in Wilson Contreras doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you'd upgrade Jason Castro, but he'd play as often as Jason Castro, and we don't have the DH at bats to give away. Because if Brantley is back healthy, um, he's gonna he and Jordan get those DH at bats, and, and we all expect Brantley to get healthy. So there's not just gonna be a lot of room for a guy that profiles up Wilson Contreras. Um, 
center field is still the place I would target. And what I think we saw against the Yankees, center field and a high-end reliever for the back end of the bullpen is where they're going to target things. And that's what that that's what's going to happen. But catcher's not going to be a place they make a move because there's just not a whole lot of point in it. Yeah, Brian, I want you to follow up on that because uh, watching the post game, it really felt like, I don't know, it just, it really did feel like we got to see the best of Martin Maldonado. Yeah, I mean, one, there's been a clear push by the Astros, uh, both in what they've been leaked to the media and, you know, did you ever see the catcher in the picture for the no hitters? <laughs> no. If we go back to the six pitcher, no hitter is Brad Ausmus in that picture, or is it the six guys? But they get Martin Maldonado in these pictures here, which is probably a subtle message from the team that, uh, from the, you know, from the team that we're sticking with this guy. But I think a more important thing to note, and something that's broadly overarching about the trade deadline for the Astros, is they have what is perceived by others to be a relatively weak farm system. Uh, they were ranked 24th, 28th, and 29th by a couple of the prospect raiders at the beginning of the season. They have one top 100 prospect, uh, according to the MLB Pipeline, that's Hunter Brown, and he's at number 90. Wow. And only one other team has one, that's the White Sox, and one, other, one team has zero, and that's the Angels. All right, you know, shout out to Angels fans, because, you know, yeah, I, I don't think they're waiting in purgatory. Um, um, and so... Can they get, would they, do they think Wilson Contreras is an upgrade? His offense is so much better than Mochi Maldonado's. Maybe they do, as much as Andy's right about how they value Maldonado. But I don't think they're outbidding the Mets or the Padres or the Guardians or maybe the Yankees or the Giants for Wilson Contreras because they don't have as good a set of prospects. And it's a similar thing about center field. And so if you look at the market at catcher after Wilson Contreras, it's, a bunch of guys who are slightly better hitters than Martin Maldonado. I'm not sure there's a real upgrade there based on sort of things. If you look at the center field market, there are two guys who are often you read these articles about sort of what the trade uh, trade block is like here um, that are, we probably are keeping them unless you blow us away. And those two guys are Cedric Mullins of the Orioles and Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. So if those two teams want prospects, guys at double A AA or triple A, I'm not sure the Astros have the ammunition to get those guys based on that. And other teams might, but they're looking for a lot there. Outside of that, the center field market is Ramon Laureano. If uh, everyone's willing to have some big heart to hearts and, you know, see a lot of water going to the bridge. No, I mean, you're right. Well, I mean, I, this is a, I, I obviously we'll keep touching on this as we go. Andy, you want to follow up? I'm sorry. Even with Laureano, I would say other than power, I don't know that he profiles much better than Jake Myers does right now. Um, it, Laureano hasn't set the world on fire. He had a couple of good seasons and then he's battled injuries and suspensions. And I don't know that he's going to be the player that he thought he was going to be when the Astros let him go. Uh, and the fact that he still holds that against them is just bizarre. But yeah. I guess you have have your internal motivations wherever you get them. Wherever you get them. Well, I just want to be a, I just want to be a fly on the wall for the uh, Ramon Laureano Alex Centrone um, first meeting. <laughs> I think it'll be a lot like Roy Kent and Jamie Tart. I'm not coaching him. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, not going to do. It. 
Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. All right, guys, that does wrap us up. Everybody, we will be back next week. I'll be coming to you from, from South Dakota, I think. So, yay. But until then, um, have, a, have a great 4th of July and go Strohs. Hey, here's to uh, marching bands, fireworks, and, of course, the start of trade deadline season. Happy 4th of July and go Strohs. Happy 4th of July and hello, Kitty. Go, go, Astros is a presentation from Twitchy Dolphin Media and part of the Let's Get To Baseball Network.